0: And welcome to episode seven of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents Hometown Haunts. I'm your host, Kat Klogo, and tonight we have Christina Wald. Hi, Christina. Yay. And Jen is out tonight because she just had surgery. So let's all send her good, positive vibes that she heals quickly.
1: Yes, yes. We want her feeling good and on next week's episode. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. I miss her shocked face whenever we tell her anything slightly spooky. <laughs>
1: I know I know we'll we'll miss we'll miss our commentary this week.
0: Yeah. So uh, if you aren't already please like and subscribe to this. uh, (laughs) I wanted to call it a station to this YouTube channel. Um, We are trying to get our numbers up so we can get a vanity URL that makes us easier to discover. Also let your friends know about us. You can also follow us on Twitter at Sin Curio and on Instagram at Sincy of Curiosities. And if you have your own hometown haunt to share, you can send that to cincycuriosities Curiosities at gmail.com. I assume we're going to just pop that up in the video. like
1: down here. It's actually in the notes.
0: So Christina, please give us an update on our Kickstarter campaign. Well, it's over as of 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time today. uh, It
1: really exceeded all of our expectations. We were very pleased Um, we really well. Yeah, we thought we were going to meet our second uh, stretch goal. We were 180 short, but still, that's incredible.
0: No, no, that was incredible that we reached just one stretch goal. We I, I mean, I was extremely ecstatic when we funded Mm -hmm. and then we hit that first stretch goal and it was so close to the second, but I think all of us were getting through Kickstarter fatigue.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the thing. We were just talking before we went live that you actually have the option to run it for 60 days, but I don't see how you could handle it. I mean, it's just too much. I mean, I I would even be happy doing like a twenty day one next time.
0: I just backed what they called a quick starter which was only 2 oh. weeks.
1: So. They said you can you can do them shorter. And from what I understand in all the reading that I was doing it doesn't necessarily mean you make less. Right? Uh, because if you say we're running for 60 days most people are like oh well then I don't need to pledge to you know, but if you say we're running for 2 weeks then mm-hmm. you know they're more likely to act. And you know, hopefully next year when we do this We'll have people that want to read the second issue, and we'll, uh, you know, pledge that like the first issue enough to get the second. Yeah. Um, and plus, I won't be as noob. I was a noob noob this time. We um, were
0: all new to this, so yeah.
1: I mean, I had a couple friends that were super helpful. Um, my friend Steve Bryant, who's running a Kickstarter for his comic The Catch right now, um, he was super helpful. Um, he's done like five Kickstarters and kind of told me how to promote it i mean there's a couple things i might do differently next time but we didn't know we this is our first time (gasps) yeah i think it went well considering we had no idea what we were doing (laughs) (laughs) i mean i know how to do marketing stuff i mean i you know and i like making animations so that i love your
0: animations (laughs) so many flying skulls which reminds me we came with oh yeah the finalist
1: yes we have two runners up and a finalist
0: okay yay so with the drum roll rolling the runners up are of our flaming skull name is crania by katie word and scully von flamingham duchess of pyrington by kelly horan so those are our runners up and our winner is <laughs> christina do you want to give us the winner
1: the winner is Erin Denninger, and the name of our flaming skull is Natty Skull, which is perfect for Natty Cincinnati. Hurrah! Yay! And yes. It is, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Natty Skull, short for Cincinnati. Um,
1: yes. It's so awesome.
0: I know there are some people that call Cincinnati the nasty Natty. <laughs> so when i saw that on the list i'm like this this feels extremely local like it feels appropriate but it's a good name that anybody can know and use so our flaming skull is now named natty
1: and i think he's going to make an appearance in this episode yes
0: (laughs) i loved all the appearances that natty made throughout um the kickstarter so i'm glad that he's not being retired
1: no no he'll be he'll be in our future Kickstarters. Yes.
0: (laughs) all right with that shall we move over to weird things we saw this week
1: i think so i think so so uh,
0: yeah you start you you had a fun ghost story
1: well you know i did this because when we did our live stream on saturday um we were talking about how there's a lady in white in loveland there's a lady in white in music hall. And, and I thought we could maybe discuss, because you talked about some of the anthropological things of hauntings, and it seems like ladies in white are sort of a common trope. You know, mm-hmm. perhaps it's because it's a slightly, you know, if you think about a apparition and it's kind of fuzzy, you know, lady in white's probably a natural assumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, you never hear the lady in polka dots or lady in stripes or something like that
0: when you do you know those are pretty authentic firsthand encounters to be able to get those kinds of details down
1: mm-hmm. but
0: mm-hmm. you found a story that's coming out of the uk
1: yes and um she was seen on camera in a victorian cemetery in sheffield i first saw this on uh, one of my go-to sites mysterious universe and um if you go to and i'll put the link in the um show notes in the Daily Mail, uh, they have film of a floating lady in white in a graveyard they believe the spirit is of a tragic merchant's wife who hanged herself in 1844. And they and they, so they think her name is Catherine Parker. But it's kind of interesting because that they don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, a viewer spotted the completely translucent image over live stream on October 17th. So you can, through the link, see the video. And it's sort of like this whitish floating thing, um, but but it's but it's kind of interesting because they're making an assumption. I mean, it's probably not necessarily her. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that happen happen often in ghost hunting? They trying to kind of figure out who that is.
0: Yeah. So, reading the article, it's I guess there's already local lore attributing Catherine Parker to haunting the cemetery. Oh, so they okay. just kind of assumed that being able to see this figure, it is katherine parker
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um it's a i don't know the team at all who recorded this so i would love to hear from them i know that they give the team's name and i'd love to hear what what was happening in the cemetery when they were investigating for this to occur but there are lots of either lady in white or gray ladies um or even the brown lady of oh man i just forget which uk estate it's at um but or even the pink lady uh there's different colors of course but the it's an interesting phenomena where it's basically a residual haunting being that it's not necessarily intelligent meaning that you can't interact with it it's basically history being played on a loop
1: like Uh, like a hologram or something
0: almost like a hologram yeah um princess leia coming out of r2d2 type of thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um like uh, Anne Boleyn is said to haunt the Tower of London as kind of a white lady. People will see her with with or without her head and it's residual around her death date. And then you also have like uh, white ladies and gray ladies that will be interactive, like the one that was in the cemetery. White is traditionally seen because a lot of people, one of the reasons given for women between about the 1840s during the Victorian era into the Edwardian era. um, A lot of Western customs, especially in the UK and the United States and Canada was that the woman's best dress was usually her wedding dress. That would be either light gray Ah, or white Mm -hmm. because queen Victoria made white wedding dresses popular when she got married before then, um, ghosts, usually when I've encountered ghosts that are older than that, they're not necessarily wearing white, but and even after that, not necessarily white, but that was one of the reasons given that I've heard that you see women in white um, because their best dress would be a wedding dress or a Sunday formal dress, um, though there were other colors that were popular. Um hmm. the ones that always get me are when ghosts show up nude.
1: <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> I've heard of
0: a few of uh nude ghosts and it's just attention getting and
1: uh, that could be its own episode.
0: It could be its <laughs> own episode. Um and I can I can bring up some. The one that um immediately pops to mind is and I think I saw it on unsolved mysteries back when it originally ran. But a woman and her child were in a car accident and their car went down into a ditch. And because of the foliage, it wasn't visible from the road and the woman died on impact, but her child survived. And I guess within about three hours of this accident happening, somebody, an eyewitness driver noticed a nude woman lounging at the side of the road and immediately stopped because this was just so, different it it was i it was attention getting so they go to see where this woman is and they see the car with the blinkers going and everything and because of these people stopping the child survived so uh, it's attributed to the mom's ghost wanted to make sure that her child survived so did the most audacious thing she could think of which was to just appear nude at the side of the road well, that's so, a pretty wild story it's a very wild story and that one's always stuck with me as just and what the, the afterlife you can do just to get attention
1: and i'm looking here at the article and it says it's the retford ghost hunters yes. retford. retford is who who is you have the footage and it says that catherine was the wife of william parker a cutlery pioneer in the steel city and former master cutler of sheffield who died in 1837 He was one of the first people buried at Sheffield General, which became one of the earliest working cemeteries in the UK when it opened in 1836. William died without making a will. So no binding agreement had been made about the distribution of his money, business interests and property after his death. It left wife Catherine destitute and she was forced to bring up the couple's five children alone while managing her late husband's affairs. She died by suicide in 1844 and the inquest into her death noted that she had immense anxieties and much to manage Hmm.
0: the poor woman
1: i know it sounds really terrible the graveyard looks really delightfully spooky in the pictures so um people should go check it out
0: yes and if your part was at the retford paranormal team yes if you are a member of the retford paranormal team Please get in touch with us at Cincinnati Curiosities at gmail dot com or sorry, Cincy Curiosities at gmail dot com. We'd love to talk to you about this very interesting event. I know, and also so just cool. the hauntings that are happening around there because that sounds fascinating. And Ohio, we don't well, we have lots of fascinating stuff, but nothing nothing quite like that.
1: I know. I mean, it just I mean, I'm sure there's all sorts of cool ghost hunting you can do in in England. Hmm. So uh, what interesting thing did you see this week, Kat?
0: (laughs) This is an interesting, just kind of a science article that just was kind of begging to be um, read on this show. And mine is, where is it? Uh, Also has to do with the cemetery, but this time it's in Belgium. And this one is brought to you by the New Zealand Herald. Mm -hmm. and it says the escaped clone female mutant mutant crayfish take over belgian (laughs) cemetery this feels like a precursor to the teenage mutant ninja turtles that's how it
1: reads (laughs) I, I, i hope someone makes a graphic novel with this
0: yeah i was thinking as i was reading the title or writing the title out earlier today for our show notes i was like this this sounds like it could be a graphic novel very fun one so basically, there are escaped self-cloning mutant crayfish created in an experimental breeding program have invaded a Belgian cemetery. Hundreds of the duplicating crustaceans, which can dig down up to a meter in are always female, pose a deadly threat to the local biodiversity after colonizing a historic Antwerp graveyard. Um so
1: <laughs> I'm picturing a sci-fi channel special
0: yeah this this feels like it could make it into like a 1950s monster movie type thing a la the blob
1: yeah i mean there's there's so much potential i mean it's a great premise
0: yeah uh marbled crayfish which travel across the land and water at night and eat whatever they can do not occur in nature and are banned by the european union Instead, the freshwater beasts, which are about 10 centimeters big and voracious, are thought to have been bred by unscrupulous German pet traders in the 1990s. Man, this is sounding like a graphic novel. Uh, they are similar to slow clayfish found in Florida, but are uh, parano- <laughs> parthenogenic, which means that they reproduce with themselves and all their children are genetic identical females. Wow. Uh, the mutation which occurred 25 years ago means populations can spring up rapidly from just a single female specimen in 2018 scientists established the global marbled crayfish population or sorry crayfish population was descended from a single female and it didn't need males to reproduce
1: i'm thinking alien here
0: this feels like an alien thing
1: xenomorph yeah mm-hmm. I mean, Uh, 10 centimeters now, 10 meters tomorrow? I don't know. I was reading, there was a a, uh, YouTube show I was watching that was talking about the history of lobster, which, you know, that's a slightly larger crayfish. And they were talking about the lobsters that settlers ate when they first came to Boston and, you know, the Eastern colonies. Many of them were two meters long. That is a big lobster. So... that's
0: like the, goodness, yeah, that's large. That's
1: probably an old lobster. I mean yeah, lobsters probably. get really huge. Yeah. But I'm just saying, two-meter crayfish, or is that in a ridiculous? It probably with with lobsters, they're old when they're that big.
0: Yeah. Well, the um basically the crayfish have taken root in the pools and streams of the Schunsof Schoon, Solhoff Cemetery in Antwerp, which is known as the Flemish city's Pierre Lache. Pierre Lache. <laughs> I don't speak French. So yes, I'm well, sorry, everyone. This is why I speak East Asian languages.
1: <laughs> I know. I, I, w- I wish I could help you. Yeah. I'm not good at pronouncing you.
0: Yeah. Sorry, everyone in Finland. Um <laughs> But yeah, interesting, and uh, it kind of reminds me of the koi population that we have here. That the, the um, there's one particular invading species, uh, not koi carp, cl- I'm very close, that is just taking over the Mississippi River. So,
1: mm-hmm. and a lot of our goldfish people throw away. I mean, a lot a lot of times you get these invasive species, and people having them as pets. I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, these giant snails were really popular. Do you remember that? Uh, People were putting them like in terrariums and that sort of thing. Oh yeah. And apparently this particular type of snail was kind of stinky. So you would think, oh wow, a cool snail. And then you'd have it in your house and it was super smelly. So people would just put them outside and say, I don't want this as a pet anymore. And apparently it was damaging the local environment because you're introducing a species that has no enemies and so what would happen is they would start you know eating all this local foliage and causing damage yeah. and so th- the news report said if you have one of these bring it to this you know facility don't put it out in your yard because it will damage the environment yeah well the same is with uh, all the snakes in florida that almost yeah. sounds like an urban legend actually it really
0: does but yeah. it's
1: true but yes yeah, so people get like a boa constrictor because they're like cool a boa a constrictor but then when it gets to be 30 feet long and it's trying to eat your cat people are thinking well you know i don't want this anymore so they just dump them in the forest and apparently they're not indigenous to that forest and they were pretty big apex predators
0: yeah they, they pull at least a few really long ones out every year from the everglades
1: mm-hmm well, when you have a snake that can eat you, it's probably no longer a decent pet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay.
0: So, speaking of something completely different. <laughs> and now for something completely different. Completely different. Uh, <laughs> we're just going to move on over to the Loveland Castle, which you and I were at back in March before a lockdown happened.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll here in Ohio
0: yeah we'll post the pictures and i also provided some lovely i don't want to call them vintage because they're not that old but photos of me and my um previous uh ghost hunting troupe um when we visited back in 2011 yeah great pictures yeah my hair was super long back then
1: (laughs) cool yeah Um... So I guess I guess you're going to read a little history of the castle and then go into your personal haunting experience, which I'm excited to hear because okay. we haven't heard that yet.
0: Oh, that's true. So yes, the history of the Loveland Castle. So Loveland Castle, also known as Uh, Chateau de Roche started construction in 1929 as a brainchild of Henry D. Andrews. Andrews, or Sir Harry, as he liked to be called, was a World War I veteran who fell in love with castles while fighting in Europe. So when he returned home, he decided to build Loveland Castle for the Boy Scout troop he led. Every brick was handmade with cement in milk cartons with his And with his 50 years of work culminating in not only a castle, but also a moat, drainage, and drainage system. Sir Harry passed away in 1981 after an accident at the castle and willed the property to his Boy Scout troop, the Knights of the Golden Trail, or KOGT. Since then, KOGT has kept maintaining and renovating the old castle and is open for tours and special events. Even during the pandemic, you can go visit during special times. Of course, Loveland Castle has its tales of ghosts, which have been shared around the campfire for decades. There is a lady in white who has been witnessed walking around the grounds of the castle along the riverbank and has been seen sitting in the courtyard. Sir Harry is said to have never left his beloved castle and has been seen walking around the property. He has been known to slam doors Um, open and shut before bad luck befalls the property. The Viking is another resident spirit of the castle. He is believed to be tied to the sword collection there. The Viking has been described to be an imposing ghost wearing a cloak and carrying a large sword at his chest. And that is the very brief history of the Loveland Castle. Any questions
1: so far? Comments. no i'm excited to hear about your experience i mean actually if people are really we have a video on our channel about loveland castle and then we have the interview with rodney yeah also but we yeah. want to hear about your experience because you actually went ghost hunting there
0: yeah so one of the first places that i learned about when i moved to cincinnati was the loveland castle and it's quite a fun place to visit if you live within Oops. um decent driving distance to Cincinnati. It's something I would encourage you to go visit. Um, the guys there are really nice. They're very knowledgeable about the property and it's a beautiful place. Um, actually all time of the year, it's very scenic. It's right on the little Miami river, right where around the place where the Loveland Frogman actually was witnessed. So it is a scaled version of a Norman castle. So it's very rough. I will say, a note to people with young children it's not exactly the safest place for really little ones who are just walking or tend to run a lot because uh, the steps just like in a normal normal castle norman castle are very steep and tiny and you only one person at a time can go up the stairs to the second floor and to the roof at the time when christina and i went the roof was actually closed Um, When I went in 2011 with Indiana Ghost Trackers, the Bloomington division, um, the Bloomington, Indiana division, we were allowed access to the roof and nothing remarkable happened there. It was just being able to take photos so i went there in 2011 i brought the team there as a thank you for um all their help with writing haunted hoosier halls indiana university and they had allowed me to join them on a number of different ghost hunts and investigations before i became a member so we were there all night we got there in the late afternoon and we left in the early morning i I think around 10 And I didn't expect to actually encounter anything paranormal while we were there. Um, I never go into investigations thinking that I'm going to run into anything because most of the time you don't. Um, We got in there. It was clearly summer or I'm going to say summertime because we weren't wearing coats or anything. It was warm enough that we can sleep on sleeping bags in the main hallway way and um yeah it was pretty good camping weather basically we do the investigation and uh, i'm trying to remember how many of us there were i think there was about 11 or 12 of us and we we start in the first floor in some one of the ghost stories that was not included in that brief synopsis is that the chessboard that is in that entryway is said to play by itself. So if you make pieces, uh, if you make moves playing chess, it said that Sir Harry will counter your moves on the chessboard. So we tried that out, we didn't see anything. We kept a um, full spectrum camera going in both that first floor entryway and in the main dining hall room. but we didn't do the sword room or the room that's the newer construction at the very end of that hallway, but we had a meter there that would, any movement that would happen, um, it would pick up the static electricity and trigger an alarm, basically. So basically, we left that particular meter in that room and then did not approach that room for most of the evening, but we left an auto recorder audio recorder about six feet away, so that it wouldn't trigger the EMF meter. Um, EMF meter is giving it quite, it, I almost want to call it, it's not a Geiger counter, but it was very very sensitive piece of equipment. And I also brought my big green laser wall ray, so that we knew that there were supposed to be um, shadow people walking around in the basically, in, I guess it was the armory or the sword room where all the um, Knights are, or the uh, suits of armor are located as well as a bunch of different artifacts of knives and swords from around the world at different time periods. They either have replicas or they have the real thing on display there safely on display. And really, The eeriest thing happened around 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. So we had done our first rounds and collected the audio um, for that. And we actually were just sitting in the outside of the castle between the river and the castle. They have this I'm going to call it a gate, but on top of the gate, they've made this cement sitting area with this half wall. So you can basically stare at the castle and you're staring at the entry door. And then um, that main, the main hallway and its porch are right to your left, right to your left, on your left. And then you're staring at what would be the, where the suits of armor and all the swords are stored. All of us are accounted for, including the uh, Knight of the Golden Trail member, who there's somebody always on the property and the property is closed. No one else is supposed to be on there uh, or around there. And so we know everyone's accounted for. We're basically just chatting. And from that armory room, we see something or someone walking to and fro from one door to the other. And we're, we just watch it for a good minute. And we're like, wait a minute, everyone's here. Who could that be? And myself and Claude um, went up there. And Claude is a very tall man. He was a member of IGT. And so between short little me and tall him, we quickly deduced that whatever was producing, cause we had a walkie talkie and we're um, communicating down to the group who are still sitting there at that seating location. um, We're like, hey, if we stand at the window like this and the windows are stained glass, I forgot to mention that. So you can't just easily see into the room. Um, So I'm standing there. I'm like, hey, if I stand like this, can you see me? Am I the same size as this shadow? And they're like, no, you're way too short. Even Claude is way too short. Oh, by the way, it's still walking to and fro. And so, Claude and I just stop and we look behind us. There's nothing there. There is nothing walking. There's nothing obscuring the lights because they're fluorescent lights on the ceiling. There's not even a moth was hovering around those lights to cause any shadow effect. So, we came to the conclusion by doing little experiments, having him stand on chairs and stuff, that whatever was causing the shadow along the windows had to be about nine feet tall and it it was just crazy. It continued to walk up and down the hall, even after we left. So it may have just been a residual spirit, but we believe that's what people see and have called the Viking, which is this large shadow man that um, being about nine foot tall would be very imposing. So We think that's who we ran into i don't think it was intelligent we didn't get any audio from there except for the team snoring and but that was a remarkable personal encounter that we had and that is my ghost story from the loveland castle
1: wow that's amazing do they usually think shadow people like that are actually ghosts or could it have been some sort of entity
0: so it depends on who you talk to um there's Two camps. There's people who believe that they're just entities that aren't using a lot of energy to show up. So they kind of use um, the the lowest form of light. This is, of course, the, the hypothesis is that um, they're going to show up as black because they can still kind of soak up the light around them, but not use a lot of energy that they may carry themselves from whatever dimension they're in. And then there's some people who believe that shadow men are demonic because that's the only reason why they could be showing up as black. And some have been reported to have red glowing eyes. And so those are the two large camps that shadow men kind of fall into. I'm one of them that believes that they're still human and they could be non human entities, not necessarily demonic. Um, that just show up that way. Um, I've been at Mansfield Reformatory and you can walk through the hallways. I know the infirmary, which is on the fourth floor above the bullpen above center. Um, you can spot shadow men walking to and fro in front of you. I've been in the chapel in that place. And I had a shadow person walk right up to me and stand like, about a foot from my face couldn't see past them but i could see everyone in the room around it
1: do they seem to be aware of you like we had talked about sort of like the lady in white being almost a recording or a hologram what yeah. is the feeling on these like when it came close to you was it trying to interact with you
0: i will be honest most of, i think all the shadow men i've seen through the years i've been investigating have all been intelligent haunts so like the one that came up to me in mansfield seemed very purposely came up to me and tried to intimidate me by standing right next to me i don't know if he was a previous inmate or maybe an officer i got the impression that he was older so he would have been an officer because at mansfield reformatory most of the people that were there were young men between like 14 to 20 Mm-hmm. And this guy was clearly, I got the impression, older than me. So, um, and I was older than 20 at the time when I went there. So, it but they could be residual. Um, it could be just the Viking that is there protecting the place and just stalking us to make sure we weren't vandalizing the area. There, there are stories about Sir Henry or Sir Harry. Um, oh, man. is it Harry. 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 Thank you. I always do that. Oh because i used to ghost close. hunt with harry all the time henry all the time and now it's harry um so one of the times i think it was the sump pump that went out at loveland castle and suddenly all the doors in the building or at least specific ones started opening and closing on their own and that got the attention of the knight who was staying there that night and they found the the basement flooding basically, and were able to stop it from flooding any further. So was so warning them. Yeah, and that's, and I'm not surprised for somebody who would have hand built that place um, for making sure that it didn't get damaged. And this is not the only time I've run into ghosts that have protect properties that they have a vested interest in up um, in Painesville, Ohio, you have Riders Inn, and it has the ghost of a former innkeeper and of Susie. And she has been known to not only appear to the police, um, she also, because it's a B&B you can stay at, she's been known to unlock the door for B&B guests. She's been known to um, place candles, lit candles throughout the building when, I, I believe in that one, they're a water heater broke wow. and started flooding their basement area and because she was lighting candles in the main area um in the f- uh, restaurant portion of the b they were able the manager was able to find this boiler that had broken down so uh and there's uh, i know plenty of other stories but those are the two that come to mind immediately
1: do you ever feel a vibe off of them oh yeah You can. Like like this one, did you feel like a malicious vibe or was it fairly benign?
0: I think it was fairly benign, which is the only reason I won't say the only reason why we went up there to investigate, because we were there on purpose to investigate. But the only reason why we stayed for so long and tried all these different ways to debunk what the rest of our group was seeing. If we felt threatened, we would have tried to just debunk it as quickly as possible and then get out of there because you don't want to fall down those stairs. So you don't wanna be having to uh, hustle out of the building at all because it would hurt. You would break something falling down those stairs. You remember those stairs, they're
1: tiny. Well, I mean, and I'm sure you've visited castles around in Europe and around the world, too. I mean, they're not exactly uh, easy access places. There's,
0: and they're not supposed to be.
1: <laughs> I, I, it it could be quite dangerous. I had a cousin that broke her leg in a castle in Prague. I believe it's Prague. Um, because those places aren't, you know, they're steep steps. And they're not, if you have knee problems or anything like that, it's not easy to uh, traverse terrain no um, and and Loveland's just like that just smaller so the spaces are not uh, they're not very big because so,
0: Loveland I've I've had the opportunity to visit a Norman castle
1: mm-hmm.
0: or well it really was a tower in London when I visited there so I already had experience traversing one of those uh staircases and loveland is very much like that there he did not reserve anything it, it really feels like a castle mm-hmm. none of the windows in the main part of the building especially in the dining area a lot of them don't have windowsills like that porch is all open air and uh sir harry lived there for 60 years wow yeah, yeah so and, i mean
1: he was working on it the whole time so mm-hmm. and but, then no go ahead oh no go on
0: oh um the knights of the golden trail were actually the ones that completed it after sir harry passed away very <laughs> tragically in 1981 he caught fire on the rooftop
1: oh my gosh mm-hmm. how, yeah. how did he catch fire i mean that's suspicious. uh <laughs> i think
0: i don't remember exactly what caught caused him to catch on fire i believe he was burning trash on the roof Mm -hmm. and um yeah because i don't have that in my notes right i believe he was burning something and you know in the 1980s polyester was everywhere it just went so uh yeah there's a
1: lot of flame retardants in our clothes actually
0: yeah and that would be one of the reasons why so he passed away tragically due to complications from the, his burns basically
1: mm, that is sad yeah but yeah i, I mean I'm, I'm a bit of a castle addict so whenever i go I, I mean whenever i go to europe i have to see as many castles as possible um, so i love visiting them and yeah. loveland is a nice little slice of castle yeah and it's local, unexpected yeah. <laughs> yes it's unexpected it is, it
0: is. in ohio because uh, we have a lot of forts but we don't have castles
1: no, no, we're we're just kind of slightly the wrong era for that. But I do love the idea. I mean, that's the thing with architecture. Uh, we could get into a whole and I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about architecture as part of this as part of this podcast, just because one thing I love about older architecture is that they used to build water towers to look like castles. For example, mm-hmm. like the one in Coleraine. And then there's, you know, city halls were built to look like castles. Now it seems like everything is built to look like sort of corrugated metal warehouse as cheap as possible. And same as houses too, houses are kind of plastic boxes that we live in. And I love the idea that if you've ever gone to the building, it's owned by the public library now. Um, My friend uh, Vanessa and I sketched it a couple of years ago. There's a building in Cheviot and it used to be a switch building for the phone company. And now it's owned by the library and it has all of these carvings on it that relate to the phone. Like they have a person yelling into a horn and then there's cherubs all over it. It's just got all of this decoration. And I love that people used to take the most utilitarian buildings and cover them with this, these friezes and ornament and, and much more interesting than today. I love mm-hmm. that they had big giant statues in the Time Star building. I
0: mm-hmm. mean, it's just
1: so much more interesting than anything we do today. And I, I'm kind of sad that kind of architecture has gone into this modern phase where they really eschew anything that's decorative like it's all and you could read articles about this and i'll probably upset many architects because i i personally don't like that aesthetic i I Mm -hmm. think it's okay in small doses but most of the aesthetic that they're doing especially big public buildings in now is not very user friendly I went to school for industrial design and we're getting off on a serious tangent here but um, one of the things that we studied was human factors and how to make products so that it was more usable and and more pleasurable for someone and when I use pleasurable that sounds really weird but but what I mean is is user friendly so like when you're right. using your your toaster or you're using a mixer or whatever that it fits your hand and that it's not difficult to use. And it seems like at some point, architecture went the opposite direction and said, architecture is an art and sure you feel uncomfortable in this building, but no one cares. Uh, You know, and that's why we love castles and old buildings, because they just feel so homey and they feel like it's part of our heritage or something i don't know what it is i mean i and that's why i think i love castles and old houses and old buildings because they're just so random like the spaces are so interesting and and there's something about them that is just really appealing
0: yeah i think a lot of castles especially like hearth rooms and great halls Mm -hmm. they have that uh feeling of i don't want to say warmth but of community because of what what they were meant for um ironically a fun castle that i visited here in the united states i also encourage people to go visit it is smith's castle in kings i think it's north kingston rhode island have you ever heard of this place
1: no but it sounds interesting
0: it is the only location in the united states where somebody was hung drawn and quartered
1: Mm -hmm. i I thought the united states had been able to avoid that pleasurable
0: nope we got one people. person who got that treatment wow. in rhode island and when you visit smith's castle it doesn't look like your traditional castle it looks like a federalist building federal style square building because that's what it is it's a house it's a two-story house very haunted um i visited there with um andrea perrin who is from rhode island and the one of the famous uh, haunted houses that, uh, the Warrens visited. Um, I can't remember which case it is right off the top of my head. It's not the entity, uh, but, um, Oh, it's the witch. Um, anyway, so I visited there, but what they used to do, it was called a castle because even though it's a two story federal style building, it used to have a fort around it like a a stockade fort so it was like a american castle because it was a stockaded place where people would take shelter um because there was a lot of fighting between the wampanoag and uh the british and then the wampanoag and the american troops at different points during like the war of 1812 and stuff
1: interesting yeah Uh, uh, we'll we'll have to look it up and and put a picture in the the podcast yeah you can see it but that sounds so it's it looks like a castle but you said it's less it doesn't look
0: like your traditional idea of a castle because it's very much a colonial house that once was surrounded by stockade fencing and um just it was where a trade uh, trade store, what? not trade store, but like a general store was. But it also has a great room on the first floor with a huge hearth. And you get that big sense of camaraderie and community that you get in a lot of these larger European great halls mm-hmm. where that was an actual functioning castle, not something that was just pretty, but an actual functioning So everyone, this is our Hometown Haunts section of the Cincinnati Captain of Curiosities presents Hometown Haunts. If you have your own story to submit, you can write it and send it to cincycuriosities at gmail.com and we'll read it on air or on the radio show, just like we are doing with Patty or Pat Ann's right now. So Pat Ann is from Canada, you said,
1: Christina? Yes, she's from Hamilton, Ontario.
0: Cool. Hello, people in Hamilton, Ontario. Pat Ann writes, My grandmother on the matriarchal side of the family was known to see spirits. I thought this was intriguing when I was a child, no more than six. And it started the day she came in the kitchen and announced she saw Heidi, our golden short hair retriever, running around the house. Heidi was a vivacious dog and her love of leaping and tearing through the brush as fast as she can made me believe that Heidi never died and that granddad brought her back from the vet. So I ran towards the back door to see our loyal and alive dog. And therefore my grand had to stop me and tell me what she really meant. The speed crazed dog was a ghost of Heidi. Grand told me about how some people and animals weren't ready to cross over and head towards those pearly gates. Some people and animals wanted to watch their beloved family grow and perhaps, if possible, help from the other side. So when someone I love dies, I could pray that he or she would watch over me for a wee while, if possible. I believed this until I was in my rebellious teenage years and in one of those years, my grandmother died. My gothy, melodramatic, navel-gazing self, just like the average teenage, teenage middle-class girl had completely forgotten what gran told me 11 years ago when gran died i cried and cried years went by and I became an art student living with a roommate trying to work part-time as well as completing my assignments i was dating during this time and on the odd weekend would relax with my boyfriend with my boyfriend's parents at their house One night, as I slept on a daybed in my boyfriend's mother's sewing room, I dreamt that I was in a dining car of a brightly lit train. I was sitting at the table, and across from me was my grandmother. She looked radiant, as if she was on stage, with a direct spotlight beaming down on her. I felt this radiance as a kind, warm glow as we exchanged conversation, all the while as the train clicked and clacked along the rails. It was magical. After a couple of conversations, to which I cannot remember what they were about, my gran took my hands and told me that it was time for her to leave, and I was to stay on the train and continue my journey. I began to fret. I was not wanting her to leave me, and I told gran that I needed her, but she just stood at the dining car's exit, looked back at me with a glowing smile, and told me that everything in my life will be fine, and it's time for her to move on. Then my grand, who I I hadn't been in her presence since the day before she died, walked onto the platform and waved me goodbye, and the train slowly crawled away. I cried and cried. I woke sobbing and sat up in the daybed. As I was thinking about the dream, I couldn't get to focus on it. The house came alive with flickering lights and eerie sounds. I stood in the room's doorway and found my boyfriend and his parents frantically running through the hallway turning off lights that turned themselves on and trying to figure out why the intercom was screeching this weird gauzy whistle it was my gran reminding me to believe in ghosts and that's a really interesting story that is a good spooky story
1: well a couple things that that i i notice about this and that seems sort of like a common experience is not only the travel of the train i mean even sort of in harry potter rolling alludes to you know the scene with dumbledore and harry in the train station so i think being in travel situations is very common when people Mm -hmm. are experiencing ghosts uh is there a reason for that what have you seen in your experience because this is not an unusual
0: yeah, I it, it, really haven't experienced doing that, but there has been, I'm going to say this is the more metaphysical side of things that I've heard, um, that when you either see a loved one in a dream or in some cases astral project, a lot of the locations where you end up are going to be train stations or places which would be considered crossroads of travel. Um and a train station is perfect for that. So I think that's why it's used a lot. Even for a writing motif as a writer, that's a really good crossroads for travel and uh, a good way to alliterate to people who need to connect for a certain point of time, albeit brief, and then travel two opposite directions. So that's probably why it gets used a lot.
1: Well, I wonder if, if, if it's even... When you talk about perhaps seeing a, a family member that's trying to communicate with you i wonder if it's something that they're trying to have something that you understand mm-hmm. you understand a train or you you know there's something about it that you understand it. it's a transient
0: yeah situation. it's a transient transient location it would be a location that would be familiar to a lot of people mm-hmm. um because a lot of people have experiences in subway stations or train stations or even tollway stations Mm -hmm. and um or uh, rest stops get used a lot um yeah because i think looking at a more metaphysical reasoning if we try to conceive of what the afterlife actually looked like our little corporal forms would go a little nuts Mm
1: -hmm. so well it's it's an interesting uh concept the idea that that your relatives are trying to get a hold of you. And one thing that I've heard a lot with people that work in like retirement homes and palliative care and stuff say that a lot of times seniors will start talking about, they're about to go on a trip Mm -hmm. and it's going to be far away. And it's kind of interesting because it seems like it's a really common trope. Mm -hmm. So perhaps it is sort of a perception. I mean yeah it's sort of like you're getting closer to this tunnel that you're going in and you're aware of it yeah i mean even people have talked about when
0: they've had near-death experiences it's like a tunnel of light like a train tunnel
1: so Mm -hmm. and maybe that's the only way you can describe it with your realm of experience Mm -hmm. yeah maybe it i mean maybe it is some sort of interdimensional connector or something Mm -hmm. like that and perhaps her grandmother felt like she needed to get a hold of her one more time. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing I also noticed about these stories. Oh, I'm sorry. Finish your thought. No, that was it.
0: That was, I think you hit the nail on the head.
1: I mean, I think uh, we've had another story where somebody was at a significant other's home. And I wonder if that's another trope, like something, there's something about that energy, like you're feeling, because I think a lot of times when you're visiting a significant other's parents are staying there you have this sort of feeling like i'm trying to you know what i'm trying to put into words what it, it's you're not in your normal place and it's not your place and i wonder if sometimes that kind of shakes things up as well maybe or maybe you're more aware because you're sort of i don't want to say in an awkward situation but put perhaps you're in an you're-
0: unfamiliar location so your senses are going to be naturally heightened when you're somewhere you haven't been before
1: so you might experience because i was thinking of uh mary's uh experience a couple weeks ago when she was pregnant and staying with her in-laws at the time and and Mm -hmm. how she was seeing something and perhaps Mm -hmm. that is because you're like you said in an unfamiliar place so you see more than the people Mm -hmm. that live there
0: yeah yeah because if a lot of ghosts um may just blend into the family so well and like the energy just may uh, resound at the same level as the rest of the family so they kind of blend into the background um and that gets used in a lot of like horror movies like what is it the haunting of blind manor Mm
1: -hmm, they use mm -hmm.
0: that where the ghosts are all in the background they just meld really well Mm
1: -hmm. and people
0: are just walking around completely unknown that something's watching them
1: yeah well i mean you you really don't take in a lot of your uh, surroundings anyway so there could be there there's even even if you talk about movies uh, there sometimes there will be like something that's not in the movie that's accidentally let in and they said a lot of times people don't notice it because they're so involved so you might Mm -hmm. see something that takes you out of the action Mm-hmm. but no one notices it because they're focusing on this one thing and you could have like somebody in a clown costume over there and you may not notice it if you're focused if your attention's focused enough on something right and, exactly and, yeah and and perhaps that's what maybe that's what people that are sensitive they're they're able to see what you can't see because you're focused on your particular reality maybe hmm you have <laughs> where'd you, where'd, well it's not
0: really well I guess yes. some of it's experience I've also just read a lot on different topics with the paranormal metaphysics and even psychology um and sociology how people think why we think these things there's a lot of stuff that um we're always going to look for stuff that is very comforting uh especially right now and mm-hmm. yes. uh yes yeah, I like to see how that's how people that are living in haunted houses are coping right now. <laughs> I'd really like to know that. Um, but
1: well, I, I mean, I think that's one thing that's interesting when people send us their hauntings too is to see these common tropes and kind of as people experience them. Because I think everybody has had dreams where they've talked to relatives and stuff like that. And it would be interesting to see, like, if you could compile, like, when does this happen? Are you at a transient time in your life or is it, I mean, it seems like there's certain things, maybe times where family feels like they need to help you or get your attention.
0: Right. Well, on that note, on Halloween morning, what would have been really early morning. I got a dream that my dad was in it and my dad passed away a number of years ago. And I was like, wow, that's really weird. And I looked at the date and I'm like, oh no, it's Halloween. That makes perfect sense. This is the time of year that this would be happening Mm -hmm. the most likely. And it was just one of those dreams where I'm like, he's just checking in on me, seeing how everything is. And then he leaves and he always shows up around this time of year. So yeah that's a different ghost so it story was
1: because of the yeah because the veil
0: the veil is really thin right now and that, that's uh-huh. why we have halloween uh Sol- was it saloon and de los de los muertos so
1: uh-huh.
0: that's um, interesting
1: because i think i had it and i don't remember that much about it but i had a dream about my dad and my grandfather on my dad's side uh-huh. like yesterday morning that would make sense
0: yeah so Yeah. It's because the veil is really thin right now. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are looking for guidance because times are very turbulent. And Mm -hmm. just from my own experience and talking to other people, uh, this is when you do get a lot of visitations from family in dreams. Some of them may be at the foot of your bed um, because everyone is kind of wanting some guidance. And Mm -hmm.
1: if you are Mm -hmm. in the
0: belief that the, um, your family can help you, this is when they're going to show up.
1: Mm-hmm. There was somebody that was wanting, and I heard this on, I think it was on Mysterious Universe a couple of years ago. There was a guy that was trying to put together an app that would uh, compile dreams hmm. and, and it it never went anywhere, unfortunately. Like they had a beta test and it never went. I don't know if he didn't get funding for it, but I thought that would be a really interesting thing to study because they were going to see if people dreamed about events before they happened so yeah but it, for some reason i mean if you could compile that with something like a you know apple app on your phone your iphone app i mean i think it would be really interesting to see you know how similar people's dreams are
0: yeah like, I think a was, lot of
1: people have recurring dreams and maybe like your teeth
0: falling out uh-huh or which is a stress dream mm-hmm. or being chased by zombies which, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, I've gotten that a lot. I think that's it's one of awesome. reason why I don't like zombies because I associate them with stress because that's just, I, I don't know how many times I've woken up in the middle of the night thinking the house is being attacked by zombies wow. and then looking out the window and there's nothing. And I'm like, okay, well, that's that's comforting to wake up and find that the house is not being attacked by zombies, but it certainly felt like in my dream, it was very vivid.
1: So um, that's really interesting. Yeah. Have, you, have you had any recurring dreams that you, you have every couple of years that seem very similar?
0: I do. Um, and then I also have a few years ago I had a lot of dreams where I'd fly.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: flying from what I've read is very like you're feeling very confident so you're able to fly. But um, I do have a spooky dream that, kind of helped keep me from dying one year really yeah i don't know if you want me to tell it now or save it for another episode
1: uh, you know we should do a dream episode because i was going to talk about a, a recurring dream. dream i have but you know i'm not going to because we're going to do an episode about it why don't we do that next week because i think we're at the end of our time and we I want to so. have uh, we don't need to talk about it all now we have other episodes we can we'll do yeah. a dream episode we'll do and a people dream. can tell us their recurring dreams yes yes Yes, I'm gonna make this little note right now. Yeah. And then
0: let's make next week a dream episode.
1: Oh, what an excellent idea. We'll do it next week. So thanks for joining us for another fascinating
0: week at week <laughs> of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. I'm your host, Kat Cloco. With me is Christina Wald. We Jen Kohler is not with us this week because she is out for surgery. She's recuperating. So yet again, please send her positive vibes and feelings and thoughts her way for healing uh if you'd like to su- submit your own story f- to the hometown haunting segment you can reach us at cincinnat at gmail.com you can also find us at sin cabinet curio on twitter and cincinnati cabinet of curio why do i keep doing that cincinnati cabinet of curiosities on instagram Also, you can find us at Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities on YouTube. Please like, subscribe, and ring that bell for new episodes. They usually pop up every Wednesday morning at midnight. And (laughs) thank you, Christina, and your wonderful editing for that.
1: Hmm. One last thing. Uh, Thanks, everybody that supported our Kickstarter. We love you all, and we really appreciate your support. Yes. We cannot wait to send the book out to you. Yes.
0: Yes, that's Very exciting um, to share all of that. So thank you for all of us over here at the Cabinet of Curiosities. Have a wonderful week and keep it spooky.
1: Yay, bye.